This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Welcome back, Star Wars fans, to another episode of Coruscant Radio Underground, presented by the ScienceFictionary.com. Uh, joining me tonight are Marisha. Hey, everybody. And, and Daniel. Hey. And we're going to talk, just uh, kind of give Daniel a chance to catch up on some things that we've we've talked about and he hadn't really gotten to. We're going to get into some Mandalorian Season 2 rumors and, and casting, and we've got a few things on Cassie and Andor that we haven't talked about at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just got a few other things we're going to get into tonight, but um, Daniel is back with us. It's been Daniel. When was the last time you were on? Um, but you were on at some point during the final season of Clone Wars, right? Or did we just talk about it on the no, other? No, we show? just talked to David. That's right. David. Yeah, David came David on. David came. David came on one night to talk about that, and then we talked about it uh, on our other show. That's right. Uh, the science. The Science Fictionary Podcast. We discussed it there while that was going on because I got really excited about it, and I also was unable to be on here, so I had to have an outlet for it. Um, <laughs> and we talked about it over there. So it it has it has been a while since I've been able to be on the show. I am glad to be back. Yes, you got to talk some. You know, like you got to talk Star Wars sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we don't want to overrun the other podcast with it that's what this is for it's the reason right. andrew well, created it so we'd have a place to talk about it yeah and well you know in the shows everything else right well on the other side of that is if we do too much star wars over there then the episodes will be three hours long oh no kidding that's, yeah that's true <laughs> right. but we're gonna reformat that show though we've got we've got better that's ideas. true got some news coming on that which We'll probably actually, by the time you hear this episode, well, the the first episode of the new format should already be out. So exciting stuff! the The mastermind brigade here. I just show up and talk. I don't actually put forth any effort. It's against my religion. <laughs> all right. So why is it not showing me all of the episodes of the gallery series? That's kind of what I want to start off with, just because I think this show is really neat. Um, you know, we've always gotten really cool documentary series with with all the Star Wars DVD releases mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I didn't really know. I kind of figured somewhere along the way we would get some stuff for The Mandalorian. I'm still waiting for that uh, Mandalorian concept art book. Yes. I'm really enjoying the Disney Gallery series. And it sounds like the Disney Gallery is something they're planning on doing with a lot of the show's that are going to be coming out for Disney Plus. So Which is awesome. It really is, but I mean it sounds like, you know, these might be things we might also get for some of these MCU shows. Mm-hmm. If you're one of those nerds that watched all the special features for 700 hours of Lord of the Rings, hello. You will enjoy this. <laughs> right. But it was really cool. I mean, so the first episode of the Gallery series was directing where we got to kind of see all of the directors Mm -hmm. that worked and realized that you know a lot of times when you have different directors working on a show one director shows up does his job and then he leaves right 
But these people were all there together. They were all set together. Which is awesome. Having that much yep. filmmaking knowledge on set at any given time is pretty impressive. It's unreal. Um, and that's yeah, a... Go ahead. I don't, I don't remember which I don't remember which of the directors it was that commented on it, but they were like, it really became like it was so good because all of you were there for me to bounce ideas off of, that, and they all agreed with that. Like they were all there to be able to help each other, and you get a different. They've they all come from different backgrounds. They've all got <laughs> different levels of experience, and I kept wondering, like, well, why would they all? I guess they stayed on the same location to shoot certain scenes of their episodes so they were there together on certain locations and then we find out in the last series they had no locations that's unreal so i was like this is wild right yeah you just show i mean Mm -hmm. you just show up at the daggum sound stage yep it's unbelievable right but i know i jumped ahead of you andrew oh it's okay an episode at a time but (laughs) Uh, the the whole series has really been insightful and amazing, and mm-hmm. it, it 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 gives you a different level of insight in what it takes to make a series than you normally get. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and this is the whole thing is a testament to John Favreau's ability to assemble a team. I mean, I really enjoyed I enjoyed, I enjoyed every episode of The Mandalorian. Some were better than others, but I there was no episode I didn't enjoy. And, but what this really did for me was like, gave me real insight to these directors Mm -hmm. and how they approach things, which just made me enjoy everything they did in the series that much more. Mm -hmm. Seeing Dave Filoni and how they, you know, coming into doing live action and, you know, everybody said, well, what makes anybody think Dave can do live action? Well, I mean, he was surrounded by such a solid team Mm -hmm. that, yeah. So he, he learned. Gave, he gave John Favreau a lot of credit for that too. You know, mm-hmm. he come on set without a lot of experience in live action, and John was always there to sort of say, mm-hmm. "Try it like this." You know. I mean, though, who better? I mean, the Dead Gum Man learned animation from George Lucas, and now he's learning live action from John Favreau. He, I mean, like by the time this is all over, he should be the best <laughs> damn director in the universe. <laughs> well, if nothing else, like. I still think that it's valid to think that Dave Filoni has earned a spot as the creative head of Lucasfilm. I think, I mean, I don't know if he wants that job, but I, man, I wish he I would take it. I need him to be the main person running Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy does fine at that part of the job. Yeah. I, but I need somebody as a creative head, and I've said and said and said, and everybody's going to get sick of it, that he is the creative heir to George Lucas. Mm-hmm. Building these experiences, the one knock against him was he's, he's never, never done, done live, live action. action. Yeah. And, and now, he he's, he, now he's had two seasons worth of live action directing with some of the best in the business. Yeah. I couldn't help but notice he was on all of the panels. You know, he wasn't just well, on the director's he's, panel. He's a producer also. Right. I, I guess that's yeah, true. But Kathleen he, Kennedy was not on all the Kevin, panels. But no, but he and John Favreau sit on, I mean, every, every topic they discuss. He's yep. he's with it. They're, with, they're, the, they're the two people with every group. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's it, because I do have a feeling of it that John Favreau is the showrunner. And mm-hmm. Dave Filoni's like 
attached at the hip. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the feeling you get from the way their production went because Filoni leaned on John for the way we should do things, especially mm-hmm. in a live action setting. And John kind of you know, and and he would say too that having Dave there and his vast knowledge of Star Wars, he's he's got is an asset. Yeah, and, and I I kind of get the impression they really sort of leaned on each other and mm-hmm. kind of ran this thing together. Yeah, and mm-hmm. Favreau really. Again, this last episode with the one about the technology, just that's always been John Favreau's thing. Yeah, is pushing the envelope right. on the technology we use to make film and television, and that just carries on the entire legacy of Lucasfilm. Yes, I am. Right? It, it's it's a Absolutely. perfect marriage. Well, and that—that's why I have just—I've said and said over and over that between Filoni and Favreau, you have really created right. You've cre- you've recreated the magic of the early days of Lucasfilm by putting those two together. Well, I mean, with I th- the pushing technology and the storytelling abilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to say that Dave Filoni is a, the creative heir to George Lucas, I think you would have to at this point make a pretty good case for. John Favreau being the technological heir to George Lucas. Yeah, I think that's a very good. That's very well said. They they really and another thing another thing where Filoni may have been of some value here was really it's kind of skipping ahead again. The the volume is is allowing them. They're really beginning to blur the lines between the way you make animated mm-hmm. film and and live action film. Okay, so do you want to, if for anyone who may not have retained it, you want to quickly recap what the volume is? Um, so the volume is basically a virtual set. Set. It's a, it's a virtual soundstage is, is what it is. Mm-hmm. And it allows, instead of green screen or blue screen, which, I mean, that stuff's been around a really long time, but it was George that took that stuff to new levels mm-hmm. with the prequels. Um, but they talk about in in the technology episode, which was episode four, you know, that the early days of green screen, like you look at some of those movies, including the prequels, and go, man, the acting's just a little off. Well, you were acting against nothing. Right. <laughs> against a, like, here's a ping pong ball on a stick. You put five people on the set. Yeah. And say, here's what's happening, and they all re- they all react to it differently. Yeah, I think Coral Weathers which is a called Carl that. Made that point. Right. Yep. Yes. And so the technology is basically just I don't even know how many LED screens they're using. Are they using LED screens or L C D screens? L E D. L E D. And it, it blew my mind for a second too, because you bring up blue screen and green screen, which you know, we went from green screen now and blue screen's been the technology, you know, for however long. And it's crazy to me that so you film against the background, it's all blue because this is brilliant. Now we can put in whatever background we want whenever we're through filming it. And it never occurred to anybody, including me, to, won't you just go ahead and put the background on the screen while you're filming it? Now they've done it. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there going, why didn't anybody think of that before? Well, and, but and then you get into start- details of it because of mm-hmm. the way... Because of the way the background itself needed to shift as the camera moved, so you get the proper depth and volume. The reason they call right. the stage the volume because it gives you volume. 
and and you're like, okay, so now we've got the technology to actually do it. And like I said in the earlier episodes of Disney Gallery, while I'm, while they're showing us the shots of the production going on, I'm thinking they're on location even during those shots. Mm-hmm. Well, now, in episode four, they start talking about the volume, and they show you the same shots all over again. You realize they were never on location. <laughs> like, it's unreal. It's just, right. It is. Well, and then, and then to get there, and they're talking about it, and they're talking about, you know, how they arrived at it. And, you know, and Kathleen chimes in and says, well, you know, this is what George wanted to do mm-hmm. in the late 90s. And he just, the technology didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And he tried to figure it out, and it just wasn't doable. It turns out the missing ingredient is the game engine. That the game yep. engines have come far enough along to render real environment. And, and it's something Favreau has pushed towards and pushed towards, uh, talking about doing it with, doing everything they could with the Jungle Book. He did mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of get a little, he got a little bit of it. He put the, you had the, you had the practical effects on the foreground mm-hmm. and he filmed it against blue screen. And then when he got to Lion King, they you started using the game engine and, and got different perspectives with it and moving the camera around inside with the game engine. And now when he gets okay, so what's the next step? And now when we get to Mandalorian, they put it all together. It is just fascinating because I'm sitting here going, <laughs> it really will is. We ever will we ever need to go on location again? And <laughs> We were we started discussing a little bit before the show started. Marisha started to make a point, and I'm gonna let you finish that point because I have something else I want to say. You have a rebuttal. I mean, it seems like there are still going to be things that, you know, large scale things that you're going to need locations for. I mean, it's just it's got to be different. you know, to experience for a huge, I mean, having been on a few film sets, there's kind of something about just like being in a Annabella mansion or, you know, something like that. Right. But at the same time, like I keep sitting here thinking about it and going, well, sure, there's some scenes that would have to be done on location. I do think some things are going to continue to work on location. Big sprawling vistas where they want to capture certain elements of that. Yeah. But at the same time, every time I go... Well, they'd have to, you know, think about, like, the Lord of the Rings, massive battle scenes. Well, those were largely digital put in front of real props, which is essentially what the volume is doing. Because that's what they're doing is they're, you have the screen, but then you also have props to fill out the foreground. And so you lose perspective of where, and I think it was, I don't remember if it was Bryce Dallas Howard or somebody else that was talking about that, where you lose perspective of where, of where, the real where Be- reality stops and the screens begin. begin. What were you saying, Daniel? We you were kind of cutting a little bit out. I'm sorry. A couple of them made that point. Dave right. Filoni said they were on set a few times. He said, "Okay." He said, "I'm going to try to figure out what's real and what's not here. Like, mm-hmm. let me let me let my eyes, you know, and 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 you can't always do it. And a couple of the other directors, a couple of them made that point. Mm-hmm. But but also the in reference to using locations i agree i don't think location shootings ever going away it's it's not ever going away it is what it is and it doesn't need to go away there are there's something about shooting on location that adds a benefit to a film but at the same time there's also a benefit to the idea that like was pointed out in this documentary there's something there is some benefit to the idea that if you need to shoot a scene that takes place at dawn 
if it takes you 20 takes to get it right, you don't have to come back the next day to reshoot that scene. True. You can make Dawn last as long as you want. Right. Yep. And, and as far as it being immersive, the, when you have the actors who are involved with this sitting there telling you how immersive it is that once, mm-hmm. once you're there, you completely buy in. Mm-hmm. Just let your mind see it and accept it. It can be just as immersive as a real location. Yeah. And and they do play pretend for a living. So, yeah. you know, they should, if they can buy into a, a, a stage being real life, they should. And on the upside, again, you don't have to, like I know the um, the actors for Doom were talking about it being 115 degrees and they're wearing these rubber suits. And you don't risk giving your actors heat strokes if you do all of your filming on a soundstage i suppose i don't i don't think location shooting is ever going away but i do think it's quite possible to see more and more and more of this because of the benefits that we're talking about right now i just i'm curious to see where this technology starts to pop up because as favreau was saying there's nothing proprietary about it right this is just which i love because again that's a very george lucas kind of attitude Towards movie making. Like, everybody do this now. Let's make this the new thing. It wasn't, for George Lucas, it was never about, and this kind of goes back, you know, they spent a lot of time, the second episode is Legacy, where they talked about the legacy of what George Lucas had done. And favorite episode of this, actually. I'm with you. And he, you know, because for George, it wasn't about just doing the biggest and best himself. It was about pushing filmmaking forward Mm -hmm. itself. And then when we got to... The prequels, not only was he pushing filmmaking forward, he also began to push the theater experience forward because he was the one that really put his foot down and forced the theaters to install digital. If they wanted to continue to show his movies, they were going to need to install digital. So what were some other things y'all liked about the Legacy episode? Y'all both chimed in and said it was your favorite episode. And I I agree just because it was so good, but I really liked the cast episode as well. (laughs) Go ahead and say, we all know my feeling on prequels. Ha ha. Daniel is not a fan. (laughs) I am not a fan of the prequels. It's just, I tried, I I tried to rewatch Phantom Menace the other day and. Watch it with your kids, Daniel. I know, I know, I know. Watch it with your kids. The best moment of that show and actually the best moment of this whole documentary so far was in that episode was the last 10 minutes that episode with Dave Filoni. Yeah. Right. And Duel of the Fates, right? Yep. Which Hmm. never even for me thought to question why did they call that Duel of the Fates? Okay, cool name for a lightsaber. No. It's the idea that Filoni put forward that they're literally dueling for the fate of Anakin Skywalker. Is Anakin gonna have a father figure or not? Mm-hmm. That this is the moment where everything started to tip Palpatine's way. Taking away that father figure of Qui-Gon Jinn and Qui-Gon knows that this is what's at stake. That I can't even get end all up with the way Dave did, but it completely gave me a new appreciation for my least favorite Star Wars movie. Yeah. Um, and I just sit here going, yeah, okay, it makes sense now that you say it in hindsight, but is that really what George had in mind when he wrote it? And you know what? I, 
Yeah, it probably was. That's why he called it Duel of the Fates. I don't know, because I'm torn, but because, yes, that gave me a better appreciation for that moment, and it gave me a better appreciation for the uh, foresight and thought and depth that went into the prequels. Mm -hmm. But I still have the issue of that none of that depth comes out in the prequels. You know what I mean? None of like it. If that, was, if that was the intent, none of it. Feel it when I saw it. And Some of I, us but, did. But just the fact, but just the fact that Dave loves this world so much mm-hmm. that he can get that deep about something that not all of us appreciate, even that even hardcore. Star Wars fans do not appreciate on that level. Mm-hmm. Just actually really makes me feel good that this guy's involved. Yep. And it gave me a new appreciation for a movie I really don't like. And I was just like, okay, this guy completely gets it. Yep. And you know what? I'm going to go back and rewatch Phantom Menace now. And that's why I was rewatching it the other day, but still didn't finish it. <laughs> so but but it's still though it, it put that thought in my head and like i said it really made me want to go back and re-examine those movies again you know mm-hmm. there's there's things there i didn't get yeah and well, I, I really enjoyed that moment of that episode and i i really enjoyed this documentary series as a whole right. but that that episode in particular and just that last 10 minutes of Filoni yeah talking about something that i never appreciated other than just being a pretty cool lightsaber battle and i went oh a character who never needed to exist died big deal well now you got me sitting here going oh, i understand why he exists now now i get it you hmm. know yeah because yeah. me and Andrew had conversation before. I was like, Qui-Gon Jinn, yeah, pretty cool Jedi. Didn't need to exist. We didn't need him. Obi-Wan should have found Anakin by himself. Well, no, now I get it. Mm-hmm. Now I understand the point of the character being part of this universe. Yeah. So. I'm with well you. That was like, hands down, my favorite moment so far in this and everybody's just sitting there, just slack jaw, just listening to him well, that, talk. That's what I loved about it is not only did we have that reaction as the viewers watching the series, but the other directors and you know the other directors and Kathleen Kennedy sitting around the table all had that same response. I mean, it's just like it's, nobody's got Mind anything blown. left to say. It's, well, right? Yeah, it is really. Really something. Well, maybe whenever Daniel has his his watch through, wherein he gets a new appreciation for the prequels, we should we should record an episode after every every one that Daniel watches, so we can. Oh, I think what, if I can watch the prequels, if if I could watch the prequels with Dave Filoni sitting next to me, <laughs> I, it, I could probably get through them, and I probably would have a much greater appreciation of them. Yes. Now. <laughs> I need his commentary. I can't do it by myself. Need I, his I commentary. Dave, I don't know what the word is. You, you need some. You need some depth, some some background yeah. depth on those uh, yeah. those episodes, huh? So the only episode we haven't discussed yet. What did y'all think about the legacy episode? I'm sorry, not legacy. The cast episode. That was so fun. 
It was. Uh, not like, I like the idea of, I like the stuff about, I like the Carl Weathers stuff, and they all sort of had an appreciation for having Carl Weathers on When site. they made Carl Weathers almost cry. Oh, it's very yeah. sweet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, you, you know, like Gina Carano said, John Favreau, like, si- you know, sided up to her one day and was like, watch Carl for a minute. What is it? You want to see how to be a star? Watch Carl for a minute. That's a superstar. You know, look at just and just watch him. And if they all kind of learn from Carl with his own, own set, I thought that was pretty neat. But, you know, some of my favorite, they really, they focused on Gina and Pedro and Carl, which is understandable. Those, at the end of the day, those were our three main leads. But there were right. so many. I mean, you know, let's let's talk about what Taika Waititi brought to it as a member of the cast, not yeah. just as a director. Mm-hmm. Um, how did they do Quill? Like, I know Quill's face was animatronic. Um, I assume there was a person playing the body, and Nick Nolte was the voice. And, you know, I mean, why can't we talk about that a little more? I, I suspect we may, because they also didn't talk about the, the child. You have Warner Herzog there, who is a... Fantastic character actor, a very well respected director. You know, I you know I wanted more of what he brought to it. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who is one of the greatest bad guys in television history, mm-hmm. everything he does when he is a villain just will blow your mind. This is he's our main villain in this show, and I just my only complaint about the cast episode is is we didn't get enough of it. The cast was so good, but we do have some other stuff coming up. Actually, the episode Friday is called Practical, which I'm assuming is going to deal with that's probably uh, where how we're they did see, Quill and the child. And we some may of see more of Taika Waititi doing the droid, because I'm sure some of that was practical, too. Yeah. I'm a little disappointed that Taika's not going to be back to direct, but I suppose that's because he's mm-hmm. moving on to do a movie. Yay! All the people are like, me, 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 but me. I, I didn't like Thor Ragnarok. I'm like... Dadgummit, did you see that episode of The Mandalorian? What I am really excited about, I don't know if y'all have seen, but uh, uh, supposedly Carl Weathers has directed an episode in season two. Ooh. Did Werner Herzog direct an episode in season two? No rumors about that. He uh, should. (laughs) But I'm, I'm interested. Like, I'd never really... That was one of the things about the cast episode was realizing how really into the story Carl Weathers has gotten. Hmm. He's really embraced this story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they talk about how he was supposed to die off in the third episode. Yep. And they just, after they got him there, it was just like, we can't, we can't get rid we of him. We can't. Right. <laughs> it's like he was actually supposed to be in makeup. He was, you weren't mm-hmm. supposed to, when they get, they get, you get called on set and they go, we can't. You can't. It's Carl Weathers. Like, you, how do you not show? And like, <laughs> I love Carl Weathers' response whenever he said John told him, "Okay, so it's gonna be, you know, you're gonna wear a mask. We're not really gonna see your face. Part of the mask, be animatronic, whatever." And Carl just went, "Okay," and he left the meeting going, "They're not gonna do that. Why would you do that?" <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that's. Tony got to talking and go, "We can't. We can't do that to Carl. It's Carl Weathers. Like." We're not going to cover his face. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah that was well, pretty I, hilarious. Yeah, I, I got a kick out of several of the Carl Weathers things. Uh, there was a point where Gina Carano was talking about what something that she just couldn't get right. Mm-hmm. It just got, and she 
went and she sat down and Carl Weathers is just sitting there reading something and he's just, newspaper. The newspaper and he just kind of looks over and goes, happens to all of us. And just flips Get the going. page and keeps reading. Yeah, but he, she said it it relaxed her. Right. Yeah. Okay, so it's, you know, it's all, <laughs> if it's going to be fine, it happens to Carl Weathers, it can happen to me too. Yeah. I mean, but what a great place. I mean, because she's done she's done some acting, but I think this was the first one where she's really had character development. This is her best. This it's been her best role, mm-hmm. and to go right along with that, it's been her best acting job. This this has really it's been, been the best character anyone's ever given her, and she has risen to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really a potential breakout role for her. Mm-hmm. Um, she has really stepped up, and again. That's, that's, again, a testament to who she's been surrounded with and working yep. with, that these people are all people that are willing to help her. And, you know, I mean, because for somebody like her, I mean, she's clearly good at being a badass, but that doesn't mean that you can just throw her into a character, you know, a, an involved character role and expect her to just know what to do with it. And that there have been people who are, you know, willing to come alongside her and help her with that. I think that really speaks well to the, just the environment they seem to have created. Lots of good stuff there though. And looks like we've still got four more, episodes. See, four more episodes of that. Yeah. So that's very exciting. What's going on friends. This is Ro from the scare of scuttlebutt podcast. You're tuned in to the Coruscant radio underground. May the force be with you. All right, so we wanted to move on and kind of get into some of the casting, some of the stuff that I suspect Daniel has wanted to talk about and hadn't had much of an opportunity. I did want to mention, I don't. there's not a ton to talk about here. I don't know who some of these people are, but we do. We've actually started getting some casting announcements for the Cassie and Andor series, which is a good sign that they're finally ready to... Do something move, with it to move forward. Well, you know they Besides brought talk about it. Well, you know they had to bring they brought Tony Gilroy in to basically rewrite the whole right. the whole thing. Yeah, we do Which have I'm good. We talked about that. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm, that's I'm glad you was involved in that. It is a little disappointing oh. that they keep running into problems where they hire a writer and then they're not happy with the final product. It's like just go to these guys that you know can write this stuff from the start. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know why you didn't hire Tony Gilroy from day one to write this, to be honest. I think they're trying to branch out and, you know, try something different. It's easier said than done, I guess. I mean, well, yeah. you can think you're hiring talented people and just their vision of what they would want to do with that doesn't match what you wanted to do with that. Right. Right. Um, but don't just hire talented people. Hire and proven people in this Hire people who've worked on Star Wars before and you like but, what they did. But it, it's going to happen. You're going to have people fall through the cracks. Writers that didn't work out. You're going to have more writers that don't work out than anything else. You're going to have directors that don't work out. But, but it seems to be happening too frequently with Lucasfilm right now. Yep. I, just, I don't agree with Marisha's last statement, though, because then you get stale. Do we just let, you know, by by that we let Lawrence cast and write every piece of Star no, Wars? No, 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 not every piece of Star Wars. We let Lawrence cast and write the first Star Wars TV show. Just saying, if all you ever hire is, is only people who've ever written Star Wars and only one person would ever write it. No, that's true. But I'm just saying, until we get our feet under us and get people to quit and, and until we get the drama under production at Lucasfilm under control, because there has been nonstop drama surrounding Lucasfilm production 
since Disney took over. Until let's we get the drama under control. Until we get that under control, let's take, let's take a step back and do something a little more safe. Do something safe for a little while until we get the, till we change the narrative, get the drama under control, and then try new and exciting directors, writers again. Although I, the upside is is that they have curtailed these things at the writing stage. Yeah. Daniel still doesn't like my response. <laughs> He's making faces over here. So Cassian is finally back on tracks. So it sounds like they're... They were supposed to start filming this summer, and I guess that still could be a possibility. But we just have to see. We've gotten, I mean, we don't have any, like, details on new characters. But we have some characters coming back who make sense. Uh, Genevieve O'Reilly will be back as Mon Mothma. I'm so happy. I'm ridiculously happy about that one. Uh, Jimmy Smits will be back as Bail Organa. As Bail Organa. I mean, like, as far as I'm concerned, you can never have too much Bail Organa in Star Wars. Heck, I would watch a freaking, I would watch a movie about Bail Organa because I just think he's cool. And then we've got a few <laughs> <What>? other. <laughs> oh, come on. Bail Organa's the best. I am perfectly fine with Bail Organa. I am perfectly fine with Jimmy Smith as an actor. I do not, I, I cannot do two hours of Bail Organa having <laughs> political debates. No. <laughs> I'm not doing that. It's just a series of him like interviewing on different uh, galactic news channels. <laughs> he, he's he's doing his 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 campaign. Yeah, like, I like Bill Organa. Let me go talk to this ambassador from Dantooine so I can move Alderaan's kumquats. <laughs> no. I'm not watching that. <laughs> Did you watch Leverage? Yeah. So they had. Do you remember the episode where they like they were trying to convince the senator to do something so they're going around doing like the lobbying and going around okay well this guy won't do it until that guy does it so they're like so now they're like trying to convince this person to pass this bill about corn and oh no he won't do it unless he you know unless i can get somebody to do my thing on the so they're like hopping around trying to get i just want to see one episode of something where jimmy schmitz is doing that shtick from from leverage where he's like going around trying to get something done I'm all for more Jimmy Smiths. I'm, I'm, I gotta say, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little more on the side of Daniel. You're not buying my I, premise. Huh? I'm not sure I need a Jimmy Smiths uh, series. I should not write this. Um, I should not write this pilot and try and pitch it to Disney. Hey, <laughs> Is that what knows, you're saying? Who knows what they're willing to make right now? I, you know, but. Um, I I think that this is a perfect place to have. Jimmy Schmidt show up. You know, we're talking the early days of the rebellion. Mm -hmm. We know he was involved. Mon Mothma. Do they cast a young Leia? No. You don't think? You have to. That, no, you have to leave that alone for right now. I tend to think that you're right, but I also don't know how you do the early days of the. I mean, although if you're going to no, 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 wait. I know exactly how to do the early days of the rebellion without Leia. And as I was as I was formulating my thought, I remembered we did see her in Rebels, yep. much younger than where. Because my idea would be that she was young. I mean, we know we're nineteen at the time of A New Hope, so maybe she wasn't really involved till we saw her in New Hope. But we've seen her earlier than that already. So yeah. you're right; it would be hard to. But how involved was she? We can still leave her in the background. We. We now have retroactively sort of retconned the idea that 
hey, this great big band of rebel leaders that you learned about in this TV show, but you never saw them in the movie. Well, it's a big galaxy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's always been the excuse. Yep. I exactly. just, and, and my, my whole thought process on that was if Bail Organa is going to be, depending on how much Bail's going to, and, and you, it may be as simple as a name drop. Yeah. You know, he's mostly keeping her out of stuff, mention. though. Well, that's true, but it, it kind of depends on when this stuff's set. Well, but, I mean, yeah, she's not directly. I mean, because she's still... She's an ambassador. Right. She's mostly... The thing is, they're all still kind of on the up and up. They're all still technically politicians. And right. I don't. she's not outed as a rebel operative till, like, she hope. intercepts that transmission. That's when she's outed as a rebel operative. And let's see, the book, the Leia book... She's a member of the Senate. She is. She's so she's a junior senator time. when she's like fourteen, and I mean, there's clearly stuff going on before she's involved. You know, because she the kind of that's part of the premise of that that Leia book is she's sort of sulking around, offended that her mommy and daddy aren't giving her enough attention because she's kind of oblivious. To because what she's really oblivious to. to what they're actually involved in. That that book kind of covers the time where she sort of finds realizes what all they're doing and sort of finds out some of the things they're involved in. So you could always do it, you know, just before that. You could place the story just before those events, and she would just sort of be a, a non-issue for the story. Yeah, I just figured right. it was a question. It's a question worth posing. I think it's too. Uh, as you get farther in that series, yeah, and mm-hmm. some of the. You have to. That's the kind of thing the timing needs to be right on. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, and when it's I, one of those I, things, when both, you're going to do it's it, it's still you, a little fresh right now. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things when you so, decide to do it, you got to do it right. Yep. I think maybe one of the only things that might soften that blow if you did it this early would be if you cast Billy Lord, but I'm also not sure Billy Lord's right for it. Um, She's a little too old. Just the. But just the sentimental value of it mm-hmm. would help sort of soften the blow of it. So I don't know. It's uh, I have no idea. I kind of am on the side of I don't think they'll do it. But it was so certainly worth posing the question. Other people that have been cast, uh, the only one I know of this additional announcement is Stellan Skarsgård. Now who he's going to play, I have no idea. Who cares? He's fun. Denise Go from Colette. And Angels in America, I don't know her. And Kyle Soler from Anna Karina and The Titan. And I don't know either of them, but I am excited about the others that I do know. And I'm excited that this project's finally moving forward. This has been the one that I've really been looking Uh forward to. Um, The Mandalorian has been incredible and and exceeded all expectations but it has been a fantastic surprise seeing the more of cassie and andor's story and some of this more cloak and dagger side of the rebellion is what i've been really excited about seeing daniel we we've talked about this a little bit on the show but not just a whole lot but what are some of your thoughts on some of the casting coming up for the mandalorian (laughs) Or just the I don't fact know how much of it I even believe anymore. Right. Because, and that's kind of been the running theme on Twitter and social media in general is people going, 
Orson Welles cast, and I don't know, you know, just people <laughs> with off the wall crap, you know, is not true. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, I'll be in Mandalorian season two because it's getting ridiculous. It uh, really is. No way. There is no way. All that. It, <clears throat> how much of that is for season three? And actually, didn't went. They had shot how much of season two before the pandemic. All, all of it. All of it. All of it. Exactly. That's why I asked the question. And we didn't hear about any of this casting until when? Till everybody was and super bored on. and had a copious started, amount of time on their hands right. and nothing else to talk about. To quote Randy Moss, come on, man. <laughs> this, ain't, this, this ain't happening. If any of this stuff, I'm not going to doubt that a couple of these castings don't happen. I don't think all of them do. I wonder how much of it is actually for season three, if not all of it. You're going to sit here and tell me you had Timothy Oliphant and uh, Tamora Morrison and Katie Sackhoff all on set to film season two and nobody told anybody? (laughs) Well, I mean, you kind of got to think about some of the secrets they managed to keep season one. But that's the other thing that makes me wonder what's actually going on here. We uh, knew who the cast was. We did know who the cast was. Now, the thing about some of those, like Katie Sackhoff, as soon as they say her name in relation with the Mandalorian, everybody's like, well, clearly Bo-Katan's well, coming well, back. Well, back now, I will say with Katie Sackhoff, back when they were filming this season, season two, she made some comments on Twitter about that made everybody think that she was doing this. Um, so I don't, I, I totally buy the Katie Sackhoff stuff because I don't, I just can't imagine recasting her. We're still buying Rosario Dawson, right? I'm still buying Rosario Dawson being in that, this. As far as whether she's Ahsoka Tano or not, I'm still not a hundred percent sure that I'm, I'm buying that. I buy that she's in it. Um, so well, here's the thing. when it first got announced, we were all excited about it. We talked about it. We, you know, y'all, y'all had a, you guys had a show with, with Roe about, and, and, and kind of had a little bait about Rosario or Ashley Eckstein. I mean, everybody got excited about it when it first announced. I think most people are really happy about it. We all bought into it. We all believed it. The more casting news we get, because while I'm making the moment, if we had all these people on set, how come nobody knew? I also, now in retrospect, have a hard time going, how do they keep having Rosario Dawson on set as a Sokotano? How do you keep that quiet? Ahsoka is the most popular television mm-hmm. Star Wars character ever, and we're going to keep it a secret that we finally have a live-action version of her? I don't know how much... I actually hope it's true. I, I do, too. true. Some of the stuff is just getting crazy. Well, some of these kind of match up. You know, you got rumors that Sabine Wren's going to show up. If Ahsoka's going to show up, it makes sense for Sabine to show up. Sabine also... When we saw them, saw them together. Also, right, exactly. We also saw them leave, like going to the into wild space. So if, they're, if one of them's back, theoretically, they're both back. Right. And to connect, you know... One plus one, you know, connect the dots. One plus one equals two. Okay, so if Ahsoka and Sabine are together and the last time we saw them together, they were going to find Ezra. 
So dot dot dot. We get Ezra. You, get my, you see what I'm saying? Right. Like Maybe that's who Tom Holland is playing. The Tom dot. Holland's not even rumored in this. Oh yeah, people have all been talking about how he's going to be quirky. Oh the the, oh, I the, did the see nephew. That. Yes, Sub- the, uh, the supposed uh, the supposed love well, child of Obi Wan and, and and the Duchess of Mandalore. No, no. First of all, I hate that look. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not one at all. I don't think we ever see that character again. And if we do, it's damn sure not Tom Holland. They're not wasting Tom Holland on that. No, he's the wrong age anyway. Oh my God. But Tom Holland is Ezra. That could be fun with blue hair. I'm I'd saying. buy that. I'd buy that. But it's not happening. Tom Holland's not doing Star Wars television, I don't think. So um, He might. Some There have been some people who are like, yeah, they'd never do that. But I mean, who would think that freaking James Bond is going to agree to be in a Stormtrooper uniform where you can't even see his face? No, that's the thing. I buy those things more readily. I, I buy Tom Holland being a Stormtrooper more than I do having a lead in a Star Wars show. I, I see, I can buy into these big Hollywood stars doing stuff like that because they're such huge Star Wars fans that I can seeing Tom Holland with all the other things he has going on devoting time to, I can't see it I don't know I don't I, know why exactly because I, I just really can't I can't see it so yeah now that you say that though I, I do recall seeing some some rumors about Tom Holland but at some point, like, don't we feel like we're getting overwhelmed with new characters, especially knowing all of the characters that are supposed to be coming back, that Ming-Na Wen's character is supposed to be back, and uh, Bill Burr's whole crew is supposed to be back? You know? Honestly, I think... And it, it feels more and more like the Dave Filoni gets to bring his characters at a live-action show. Well... There, but that's why I think a lot of the stuff is rumors we're not going to see because I'm not really going to do that. Well, so kind of my thought on the Ahsoka, and we do know that they've been talking up a sequel animated series for Rebels. Is it possible that we just get a brief glimpse of... So with Ahsoka, I think you may only see Ahsoka because she's with Sabine. Mm-hmm. But... So both Sabine and Bo-Katan make an enormous amount of sense to have show up if what we're really telling is the story of the Mandalorians. What happened? Well, not what happened, not not just what happened, but where, where we're Where they're at, yeah. Are we going to see the Mandalorians stay underground forever, or eventually are we going to see someone take up the title of Mandalore and reunite the clans again, mm-hmm. you know, and rebuild Mandalore? So if if that's the route you're going, having Bo-Katan and Sabine Wren, the last two people to hold the Darksaber before Moff Gideon, Moff mm-hmm. Gideon got it, then right. like they make sense. Uh, Ahsoka, uh, you can make an argument that Ahsoka makes sense for this because if someone goes looking for someone to train the child or at least yeah. to find out what's going on. So I don't know. But the big, you know, we've also got people like Sasha Banks is rumored in this as who knows who. I don't even, that's a, it's a WWE wrestler. She's 
rumored. Some people have her rumored as Sabine, but because she's got purple hair, she's always got crazy colored hair. And I don't think just because someone always runs around with crazy colored hair, it's like, oh yeah, she's definitely Sabine. <laughs> but I mean, maybe. But it I have worked the other way. Somebody saw her with purple hair and went, I bet she'd be a good Sabine. And then the rumor started. Yeah. yeah. You know, Man, honestly, I'm starting to feel like once somebody guessed something right that they weren't supposed to get. And so Lucasfilm was like, bwah, ha, 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 and released a whole bunch of like fake spoilers. So the internet would be like, and this person, and this person. And so at this point, I'm like, I think it's all a lie. You know, well, nobody, nobody believes any of it anymore. So that they can preserve some degree of surprise. I don't know that that's what happened, but it's starting to feel like that's what happened. Yeah. So let's let's do one last thing involving these rumors before we uh, wrap up. So for me, one of the ones I'm most excited about is Timura Morrison. One, just because I really like him as an actor. And there's a number of, and I, I'm going to tie this to uh, Timothy Olyphant's character as well. Uh, because I think they're going to be, if the rumors are true, they're going to be tied pretty closely together here in the rumors. Um, so, first question, is Tim Morrison playing Boba Fett or Rex? Or both? Rex. Boba Fett. Just so you can be different from me? <laughs> no, that really is my vote, but the fact that it was different than you doesn't hurt. Here, here's my thing about all that. I think Rex, Rex makes most sense to me. He's the right age to play Rex. Boba Fett is going to be considerably younger than that generation of clone trooper. I think he's Rex. I think if you want a Boba Fett, does Daniel Logan still act? Yep. Daniel Logan has been actively clamoring that role. to be Boba Fett since he if was he 12 years old. For a young if he can pass for a young Tabira Morrison back then, he still can now. Mm -hmm. So let's let Morrison be Rex. Let's let Daniel Logan be Boba Fett. And that's just my feeling. He's the right age to be Rex. He's not the right age to be Boba Fett at this point. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I, I don't know exactly how they were planning on, on doing any of that, but to tie that together with the rumors regarding Timothy Oliphant, I, did you read the Aftermath trilogy? I, I did not read the Aftermath trilogy. I do know the character we are. You're fisting to lead into. Okay. Now. So all the rumors are that he is playing Cobb Vant. So those little side stories, they're actually my least favorite thing about the Aftermath series is these little like chapters that are just set aside to stories that we never get any conclusions or arcs, real arcs to. We just Plus learned a little bit. Easter eggs. Yeah. And now the Cobb Vanth one was, of, of those, the Cobb Vanth stuff was the most interesting. Because you're you're dealing, it, it was because of this item that you're dealing with. You're dealing with this armor that clearly has to be Boba Fett's armor. So do we think that the character that we thought was Boba Fett, or possibly Boba Fett, in... The Gunslinger episode was Cobb Vant. Yeah. And that actually makes more sense to me than it being Boba Fett. Now that you sit back and think about it and have that retrospect because you've already established Cobb Vant having the armor. So if that was Boba Fett's armor, we heard clinking in that episode. It actually makes more sense for it to be Cobb than it does to be Boba. Right. 
I agree. And I'm now the rumors that Fett is back could stem just from the fact that someone's in that armor. Or Boba Fett might want his armor back. So, I mean, yeah, I've said from the beginning that if we're ever going to learn any more about the Fets, that this is the show where it makes sense to to tell it. But having him, having Tim Morrison, and if uh, Daniel Logan were to show up, I think you could tell some pretty cool stuff there regarding... You run the risk, though, and I'm not the first person to say this, and I don't think it's the first time we've said this on this show. You run the risk of it becoming the Boba Fett show real fast. Mm-hmm. You do, but I, and that's why I think that if you bring him in, you bring him in briefly. You bring him in long enough to to fill in what has happened. Yeah. And possibly, like, why he's either really not a Mandalorian or why the Mandalorians <laughs> have not. disowned him. Mm-hmm. But... I think we can get that story from characters like the Armorer or Bo-Katan if she pops up. We don't have to see Boba Fett in any way, shape, or form in the show to get that story. And all these different things we're talking about and the different things we, we would like to see and all what these actors possibly being cast means, we run the risk of this getting really crowded and we run the risk of losing st- sight of the main story that yeah. we all fell in love with the first season. Right. Uh, <clears throat> anything that happens needs to tie to our Mandalorian yep. and the child. Right. Definitely. We, can't get, we, we cannot get too far out in the right field with this stuff or left field with this stuff. Right. Yeah. Although, to go against what I said earlier... I think if there's any chance that John Favreau gets to bring Boba Fett into this show, he does it. Because you know this was originally pitched as a Boba Fett show, and Dave Filoni told him he couldn't do that because Boba Fett's not actually a Mandalorian. So I yeah. think, and honestly, maybe, maybe there's eventually a if, if Boba Fett's still alive, maybe there's eventually a Boba Fett spinoff, and this is just going to be a tease for a Boba Fett spinoff or something I mean, something related. Yeah, I mean, that's the only danger is like, because you're also talking about Sabine and Ahsoka and possibly Rex. Like, I don't want this to just become about establishing new characters for spinoffs. Yep. Like like Daniel's saying, like, let's not abandon the story that you're telling to just be like, who shows up this week? Right, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Unfortunately, though, I think that I think that's kind of unlikely with John Favreau and Dave Filoni running things, which is why I don't believe all of the rumors that are showing up. I think one or two of these characters that have been thrown out there will show up and that's it. And honestly, Tim Morrison could be showing up as one of how many millions of clones were manufactured during the Clone Wars. Yeah. He could be showing up as any one of them because it's been established that lots of them are just sort of, you know, holed up in different places. And a lot of them would be significantly younger than Rex because he was at the beginning of the production. He was was an early gen. He was an early gen clone and there were still clones coming out of the, the manufacturing until the end of the war. So he could be anybody. I think that pretty much covers what we've got unless anybody had anything they wanted to add before we... Sign out for the night. No, I think that did it. I'm good. 
Awesome. I'm sure I'll think of something else as soon as we sign off. <laughs> it could happen. Marisha, tell everybody where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on princessandpadawans.com. It's my website where theoretically I have lots of little instructional things about cosplay for my cute Padawans who are sometimes princesses. Also, you can find me on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore Padawans. And also Twitter, I am P Padawans. All right. And Daniel, where can people find you? Um, I am Dan C. Peeps on Twitter. And that's about it. I don't have the social footprint you have. <laughs> <laughs> but you can find Daniel hosting our other show, right. the Science Fictionary Podcast, where we cover a little bit of everything sci-fi. Sometimes a little Star Wars creeps in there, but Trek, comic books. Comic book movies, gaming. Firefly next. Yeah. Firefly. Firefly's uh, coming up. Next episode will be a com- solely dedicated Firefly episode. Because yep. you can't just talk Firefly for like five minutes. In fact, they had to stop me from talking Firefly on this episode. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Save that for Thursday night. Thursday yeah, night. Perfect. So we've got that stuff coming up. But yeah, definitely check out the other show available in all the same places that this one is, the Science Fictionary Podcast. You can find me running the Twitter account for this show at crew underscore podcast at C-R-U underscore podcast. You can drop us a line at Coruscant Radio Underground at gmail.com. You can find us at sciencefictionary.com. Oh, and you can check out all of our content as well as the rest of our network partners at red5network.com. And until next week, may the force be with you.